Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. Now for the word of God, John chapter one, beginning in verse 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained there with him for the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, come and follow me. Let's pray one more time all over this place. Lord, we love you and we honor your word. Today, as we approach it, We believe that it has the power to transform lives. And I pray that this would not be a Sunday as usual where we go through the routines of men mindlessly. But today we lean in and we allow your word to change us, to give us hope and faith. And I pray that today's message would comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Move us, Lord, into action. Mobilize your church. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Today's sermon is called Operation Andrew, and you probably have no idea what that means, but you will when we're done, Lord willing. This is not just any old sermon. This is truly a life-changing message that will not only change your life on an individual level as you walk with Jesus, but this is a type of message that really shapes and alters the direction and ministry of this church as a body. For those of you that are new or visiting, I wanna let you know that this is a church on mission. We are all about the Great Commission, which is to win souls and make disciples. The New Testament church has nothing to do but win souls and make disciples. That mission is so significant that when Jesus Christ rose from the grave, one of the very first and resounding commissions he gave was the Great Commission, win souls and make disciples. It was so important, Jesus got up from the grave just to tell the church to do it. So look at your neighbor, say, win souls, and your other neighbor, make disciples. That is not only the mission of the New Testament church, but that is your individual God-given calling. 
I hear people talk all the time and I hear pastors preach on your destiny and your dream and your purpose. Well, let me just help you real quick. Your purpose and your calling is the same as mine. Win souls, make disciples. Now, each one of us is uniquely gifted and tailored and positioned by God. And we're all gifted in a unique way to bring that about. But ultimately, we share the same mission. It's all about the Great Commission. This message is based on a conversation that I had with members of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association here in Charlotte. More importantly, it's based out of John 1. How many of you heard of Billy Graham Evangelistic Association? For those of you who have not come to the altar, it is open right now. We will pray for you. No, I'm just kidding. Just relax. Uh, Billy Graham is only one of the greatest one of the greatest evangelists and gospel preachers to ever live. He preached to literally millions of people, but it wasn't an accident that arenas and stadiums filled to hear the gospel. No, they were using a method called Operation Andrew to win souls and to preach the gospel to them. And today I'm gonna to share that exact concept with you as we are approaching Easter, which is five weeks away. Can y'all believe it? Easter is five weeks away. The first thing I wanna show you First point in the sermon is we are called to point people to Jesus. We're called to point people to Jesus. If you look at John the Baptist, he was standing there this afternoon and he was with two of his disciples. One of them was Andrew. The other one, we don't know, probably John. And as they were sitting there talking, you have to remember John the Baptist had invested a great significant amount of time and energy into these two disciples. And all of a sudden here comes Jesus walking by and John the Baptist goes, that, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And immediately both disciples were like, John, hey, thank you for everything that's been real. We're gonna follow him now. Imagine that. But John's ministry was not to build great colossal buildings. His ministry was not to amass a great following and to get verified on Twitter. Like his mission and his ministry was one thing, to point people to Jesus Christ. And this morning, we are also called to point people to Jesus Christ. Not to ourselves, not to a personality, not to a church or an organization. I don't care how great this church is, I happen to love it, but we're not here for Vision Church. We're here to point Charlotte, North Carolina to the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. We're here to point the world to him. John literally gave his disciples away. Isn't that amazing? My goodness. John 3.30 says this, he must increase but I must decrease. This is the word of the Lord. As we grow in our spiritual maturity, becoming more like Jesus, we and our selfish ambition must decrease so that Christ can increase in our life. John was literally living this out as he pointed his disciples to Jesus. I wanna challenge you, don't look at people for what they can do for you. Don't look at people for how they can benefit you. Don't treat certain people a certain way because they're affluent or beautiful or handsome. Or, no, you look at people not for what they can do for you. You look at people for how you can bless them and point them to the master. Listen, our job is not to save the people. I've heard people say, well, I saved three people. No, homie, you didn't save nobody. You're not the savior, you're not the deliverer, you're not the healer, 
And believe it or not, you're not the wonderful counselor. He is. My job's not to save or deliver. My job's to point you to the Savior, to point you to the Deliverer. Our job is to preach the gospel and point the people to him. It's his job to make the gospel work. You feel that today? Honestly, that's one of the most powerful revelations I've received as a minister is that it's not my job to make the gospel work. It's not my job to mend the brokenhearted, to heal the hurting, to fix every problem. No, my job is simply to point people to Jesus and proclaim his gospel. And it's up to him to fulfill it and live it out. We aren't the answer. We aren't the savior. Only he is. There are several ways that you can point people to Jesus practically in your life. Number one, we point people to Jesus through our testimony. Revelation tells us that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Our testimony, what our life was like before Jesus, how we encountered Jesus and how he has transformed us. And though I'm not the man I wanna be today, I'm far from who I used to be. That testimony, that story, draws people to Jesus. That testimony says, behold the lamb, look at Jesus and what he has done in my life. Anybody believe that there is life-changing power in the gospel today? You believe it? It's the truth. We point people to Jesus through our testimony and we also point people to Jesus through his word, through the scripture. The Bible is not a suggestion. It's not optional. It's not there for you to, like a buffet, pick and choose what you like, leave what you don't. No, the word of God is God revealed. If you want to hear from God, read from God. If you want to see him, read his word. The scripture reveals him. And as we proclaim his word unashamedly in truth and love, the world sees Jesus. So our testimony and the scripture point people to Jesus, but also there's two other things. The Bible says that our love, our love distinguishes us and points people to Christ. The word says that we will know true disciples by their good preaching. No, uh, by their fancy buildings. No, by their following on Instagram. No, by their love. That's how the world will know you. And by the way, we're not just talking about any old type of love. We're talking about a supernatural love, loving those who don't look like you, loving those who don't vote like you, loving those who don't think like you, loving people that don't love you. That's a whole, listen, scripture says even the world can love those who love them. You say, well, I'm loving. Well, compared to who? We need a supernatural love. And by the way, if you haven't started to figure this out yet, the great commission of winning souls, making disciples, pointing the world to Jesus, it cannot be done in human strength power, and intellect alone. You need the Holy Spirit to rest in you, upon you, and to empower you to be an effective witness in the earth. And just like you can't save yourself, just like you can't sanctify yourself, you cannot live out the Great Commission yourself. You need the Holy Spirit to empower you. But, a, but an amazing thing happens when you yield yourself to him in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. He will speak through you, love through you, encourage through you. God can do it. He's the author and the finisher. Anybody believe what I'm saying today? You believe it, Vision Church. I hope you believe it. 
That's how we point people to Jesus. There's one more way, our unity. John 17 says that when the, wor- when the church becomes one, the world sees Jesus. It's time to lay down our differences. Primary issues are the gospel and the sanctity of the word of God. Everything else is secondary. Let's unite around the gospel, the saving grace of Christ and his word so that the world can see Jesus. I love what John said, just behold the lamb. Now, when we hear that today, Behold the lamb, we're just kind of like, we picture like a cute little fluffy lamb like running around in a field and it doesn't really hit us. But his audience 2,000 years ago was acutely aware of what it meant to behold the lamb. Because see, in the Old Testament, they were still operating within a sacrificial system where they would bring a lamb to the temple and the lamb served one purpose, to die. So when John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God, he's literally prophesying, proclaiming and foreshadowing that the Messiah, Savior of the world, has come to die on a rugged cross that he may take away the sins of the world. When you hear Jesus introduced as the Lamb of God, remember the cross because the Lamb came to die. The wages of sin is death. And there can be no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. You need to understand that we are all sinful. I know that you and I, we recognize sin is wrong. We just don't understand how wrong it is. Well, let me help you see how wrong it is. Think back to the cross as the broken body, disfigured body of Christ hung in exasperation, dying a death of crucifixion. The scripture says his body was beaten beyond all recognition. Think of the the bloody body of Christ that could no longer be recognized and that is the picture of how egregious our sin really is. The truth is we've all sinned and we deserve God's wrath and judgment. But thanks be to God, while we were dead in our sin and lost in our trespasses, there was a lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the world. He took on the wrath of God. He became your sin that you might be called the righteousness of God through him. There is one way to heaven, one way to be saved, one way to be forgiven. It's through Jesus Christ, the lamb of God. We exist to point people to the lamb. The next thing I want to show you is this next point is called, what do you really want? Look at your neighbor, say, what do you want? Now let's go back to this scripture. John the Baptist is hanging out with two of his disciples. They're talking probably about Chick-fil-A, Popeye's, which is better. And then Jesus walks, we all know it's Chick-fil-A. If you disagree, altar's open. (laughs) Just, Just try to make sure you're awake. John the Baptist and his two disciples see Jesus pass by. And Andrew and the other disciples say, see you, John, it's been real. We're now gonna follow Jesus. And as they follow Jesus, scripture, look at it. Jesus literally pauses and he looks back and goes, what do y'all want? (laughs) A little rude of Jesus, all right? Hey, Jesus was always loving. He wasn't always nice. You're afraid to amen that? He flipped tables. He made a whip and swung it around. That's your Jesus. And by the way, side note, it's idolatry to think of Jesus in your way. Oh, well, my Jesus is this. No, truth is not, uh, truth is not up to your opinion. It's absolute. You need to know who he is. All right, but Jesus looks at them and he says, what do you want? I think it's so powerful though. 
Because even through the ages, the scripture still echoes that same question to every man and woman in this room. The spirit of God is asking you the same question. Jesus asked Andrew and the other disciple, what do you want from me? What do you really want today? Why are you here at this church this morning? Why are you serving in the church? Why are you in the connect group? Why are you leading in the church? What do you really want from Jesus? You see, the background of this question is that Christ knew that many followed him for the miracles, for the meals, for the entertainment. They came to watch and behold. But he, he wants to know today, why are you really here? Are you here for status? Are you here so that people will think you are respectable and have some spiritual clout? Are you here to find a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a husband, a wife? I know you're afraid to admit it, but a lot of people are here for that reason. And how I know it is because as soon as you get one, we never see you again. <laughs> you can think of somebody right now. Yep, I'm thinking of them too. But for real, why are you here? Are you here for what God can do for you? Are you here for how God can bless you? How he can heal you? Here's a revolutionary concept. I believe truly the majority of Christians in the Western hemisphere, you know why they're following Jesus? So they can get to heaven. They want to escape hell. But I wonder today if Jesus were to ask you, why are you here? Why are you following me? I wonder what you would say. What's your answer? Because the truth is, if heaven is your goal, you're missing it. You're settling for a target that is far too low. Heaven is not the goal. He is. He is our prize. He is our reward. There's nothing in all of creation more beautiful than the creator himself. It's all about him. And I wonder this morning, are you here seeking his hand, his blessing, his provision, his salvation, or are you here to seek him himself? See, there's a big difference. You can serve God or follow him for what he can do for you, or you can serve him just because you love him. And I want you to look at the Answer, watch the answer of Andrew and the other disciple. Jesus says, what do you want from me? And they go, well, where are you staying? Okay, it's a little creepy. It's okay to laugh. The Bible's funny, it's alive. You should read it sometime. Andrew's like, where are you staying? First of all, if anybody asks me on the first interaction, where are you staying? I'm like, hey, you know what? Um, I'll see you later. <laughs> But what Andrew and the other disciple were really asking is they were saying, I want to be where you are. I'm not going to settle for just talking to you in passing. I don't want to just be an acquaintance with you, Jesus. I want to dine where you dine. I want to sit where you sit. I want to rest where you rest. I want to know you more. Just talking to you in passing is not enough for me, Lord. I want to be where you are. And that is the right motivation, a heart that is after God himself. And I pray that this morning, all of us would have the heart of Andrew today, where we say, God, if you never do another thing for me, as long as I have you, that's all I'll ever need. I'll be content and satisfied with knowing you and where you are, Jesus. That's where I want to be. 
And can I be honest? If your heart is not there today, that's okay because the truth is mine has not been many times and many years in my life but I have prayed this simple prayer. God, help me to love you like I need to love you. Help me to see you the way I need to see you. Help my heart and unbelief to love you the right way. And he will transform your heart, shape your perspective, and give you a capacity to love him like he deserves to be loved. Love must be the motivation of why we follow him. David said in Psalm 139, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I pray that today that the Father would search our hearts and that if there's any impure motive behind why we follow him, may it be exposed and may our life change today. Scripture says in Jeremiah 29, 13, that, and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with your whole heart. Look at Jesus' response. Andrew and the other disciple are like, hey, where are you staying? Again, that's weird. But Jesus says, come and see. This might seem simple to you, but it's profound. The creator is inviting creation to come and dine with him, to talk with him, to relate with him. Jesus doesn't say, hey, talk to my assistant. I'll get back to you later. It's a little convicting. He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, uh, you know, I'll catch you next Sunday. He literally says, come and see. In other words, there's an open invitation. And if you really want to seek God, you will find him. And there's another principle in the scripture that you have as much of God in your life as you actually desire. He meets you at the level of your hunger. He fills you at the level of your thirst. You have as much of God as you long for in your life right now. If you will hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. The problem is we don't if we're being honest, we don't hunger and thirst for God. We don't long for his presence because we're full of the things of the world. We're full of lust, pride, greed, distractions, selfish ambition. We're living as the center of our own life. Therefore, we have no longing for him. But I pray that today that we would have the heart of Andrew that says, God, I just want to be where you are. Anybody thankful for the heart of Andrew? I just want to be where you are, Jesus. I just want to be there. Moving on. The next point is bring your brother. Look at your neighbor with some attitude. Say, bring your brother. John chapter one, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. This is incredible Incredible. The Bible says that Andrew brought his brother Simon to Jesus. And this really is our mission. Not only do we point the world to Jesus, but we are called to bring them to him. Every time you see Andrew's name mentioned in John's gospel, every time we find him bringing somebody new to Jesus. 
In chapter one, when we see Andrew, he's bringing his brother Simon to the feet of Jesus. Later on in the gospel, as we see along the shores of Bethsaida, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, that great multitude that day, it was Andrew that brought the little boy and his lunch to the master. Every time we see Andrew, we see him bringing people to Jesus. Church, that is your calling. That is my calling. It's not just enough to point to Jesus. We got to bring them to him. And I don't say this in a condemning way, but if this convicts you to God be the glory, when was the last time you brought somebody to Jesus? Like when was the last time you shared your faith and somebody came to Christ? When was the last time We'll lower the bar. When was the last time you brought somebody to church that really needed the gospel? I pray that today that we would be mobilized as a people. Again, y'all, I gotta just be honest with you. We have done church for too long where we've gone through the motions. We sit in here on Sunday. We raise our hand at the right times. We read the songs off the lyrics and then we judge the sermon based on its entertainment value. But y'all, I gotta let you know, we're here for more than that. We're called to be in this place together, to be equipped, to go from it, and to win souls and make disciples, bringing people to Jesus. That is what we are here to do. And if that makes you uncomfortable, congratulations. I was gonna say something else, but I won't say because I was too mean. <laughs> Self-control, right? That's a fruit of the spirit. Do you realize that your faith began with someone else's? Like none of you are here on your own. There was somebody that was praying for you when you didn't even have the mind to pray for yourself. Somebody, you're here today because your grandmama was praying and interceding for you while you were still lost, living as the center of your own universe. There are some of you that are here today because a coworker never gave up on you and kept sharing Christ with you, kept inviting you to church, kept inviting you to a Bible study. You're here today because of somebody else's faith. Our faith started with someone else's. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful this morning that Peter had an Andrew in his life that brought him to Christ. You are strategically placed by the hand of God to be a witness, a soul winner, right where you are. That job you complain about, that school that you hate, that roommate situation that you complain about all the time, it's just a season. And in this season, it's not an accident. It's not a mistake. God has positioned you to be a light in the darkness, to be a soul winner. That's what he's done. So instead of complaining about the season you're in, let's win the season. Listen, you can live your life however you want to. You can spend your days accumulating wealth and money and prestige and degrees. You can do all that stuff, but here's the deal. You can spend your life any way you want to, but once you spend it, you can never take it back. And I wonder, are you spending your days and are you spending your life on things that will matter eternally? Will what you're living for today matter in the end? I hope it will. But let me tell you and affirm you, you can make a difference today. And your ministry doesn't have to be up here at a pulpit. It could be in a mechanic shop classroom, wherever you are in a salon, and say, hey, let me, let me point you to Jesus. Why don't you come to Jesus with me? And let's make up our mind. We're going to follow Andrew, and we're going to be a bringer. Look at your neighbor say, be a bringer.
And listen, I'm not even talking about bringing them to a church necessarily. I'm talking about bringing them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Our faith started with someone else's. And just, just another just powerful thought really quickly. Do you realize that we don't read a whole lot about Andrew in the Bible? Really don't. He's only mentioned a handful of times. But again, every time we hear his name, he's bringing somebody. I promise you, there was probably some insecurity in the heart of Andrew. As he looked around at the other disciples and apostles, he was like, you know what? And these guys are preaching and teaching and planting churches and doing ministries, doing great things. But like, you know, I brought like three guys to Jesus. But I want you to pay very close attention. We may not read a whole lot about Andrew, but we read a whole lot about the people he brought to Jesus. Oh, let's see. He brought a young man named Peter who on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, preached and 3,000 people in one day were saved. That moment doesn't happen without Andrew. And you may look at your life and you say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a church planner. I don't know how God can use me. Let me encourage you. Little as much when God is in it. And if you'll be faithful and you'll bring one person to Jesus, you have no idea just how much God can do with one person who will say yes to the call of God on his life. There are many accounts of a, an evangelist that preached right here in Charlotte, North Carolina, many, many years ago, many, many decades ago, named Mordecai Ham. He preached a crusade, and it was a very underwhelming turnout, a very underwhelming response. But there was one little boy who responded to the message of the cross, and his name was Billy Graham. And it may not have looked like much that day for old Mordecai, but that one person that he brought to Jesus turned millions into the glory of God. He pointed millions to behold the Lamb of God. I wonder, your simple act of obedience of bringing one person to Jesus, what could it do for this city? What could it do for your family? I wonder just how much God could do with just one person who will say, yes, Lord, here am I. I'm going to be a bringer. I'm going to follow in Andrew's example, and I'm going to bring somebody to you, Jesus. Truth is, when you encounter Jesus, you can't keep him to yourself. You gotta share him with everybody. Just another side note really quickly, because I feel like you really need to hear this. Although Andrew brought his brother to Jesus, make no mistake about it, winning your family to Christ is the hardest thing you'll ever do. It's the hardest thing. It's amazing how we can shamelessly share it with a stranger, but when it comes to the dinner table, it's like we freeze up. Well, you're in good company because even Jesus had a hard time winning his family. You say, I'm afraid to amen that. Well, I got it in the Bible. Mark chapter six, verse four. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. You realize Jesus even had a difficult time bringing his family to himself. I know you're afraid to amen it, but it's in the, I just read it to you. He said it. His own brother, James, he grew up with. James is seeing the ministry of Christ. For three years, Jesus opened the blind eyes, caused the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, and even the dead to rise from the grave. And James was still like, nope, uh-uh, I'm not praising you. Yeah, maybe I'll worship God, but not you. 
But after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, James saw the glorified body, the physical resurrection of his brother, and there he fell, repented, trusted in the lordship of Jesus Christ, and from that day forward, James was a changed man. From there, he went on to pastor the church at Jerusalem and ultimately gave his life as a martyr, dying for the cause of Jesus Christ. If you ever struggle with your faith and you ever wonder, was Jesus really who he claimed to be? I challenge you. Go back historically. Look at the facts surrounding the disciples and the apostles. These men were eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and nearly every single one of them died as a martyr rather than to deny Christ for one moment. These men did not die for a lie. They were fully convinced. They saw and touched the nail-pierced hands of the resurrected Messiah, and still today, his tomb is empty. He is the resurrection and the life. Anybody believe it today? He's the resurrection and the life. Don't give up on your family. They may be hard to reach, but keep praying, keep investing, keep inviting them to Jesus. And when the door of life opens, take the opportunity. And by the way, God has a way of making even the strongest people lean sometimes. Life circumstances will break up that fallowed ground eventually. And when the time happens, preach Christ. Bring them to Jesus. Not going to preach much longer. John chapter 1, verse 44. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. And Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets have wrote about. His name is Jesus, the very son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Profound. This may feel like an ordinary text, church. This is profound. Because the Bible is showing you what it looks like in authenticity to share your faith. There's going to be objections. It's not going to be rainbows and butterflies like you say, You try to bring people to Jesus and they're just going to go, okay, yeah, let's do that. Let me ugly cry and get saved right now. That's not how it works. It didn't happen that way for the disciples. Philip went to bring Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's like, what? He's from where? No, nobody good comes from Nazareth. He, he's not the real thing. And long story short, historians believe Nathaniel's not being overly critical. Nathaniel knows the text, and he knows that the Messiah hails from Bethlehem, not Nazareth. But little did he know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth. Long story short, how did Philip overcome his objections? Lean in, church, lean in right here. Because some of you are not sharing your faith because you don't know enough. Well, let me remind you, Andrew had just met Jesus. Philip had just met Jesus. They're like three days into this thing. They don't have their apologetics down. All right, their theology and doctrine's a little shaky still. And when met with opposition, you know what he said? He didn't try to argue him. He didn't, by the way, you don't argue anybody into the kingdom. When was the last time you heard a testimony somebody said, you know what, they argued me so hard on Facebook that I just knelt down, put the keyboard aside. No, you don't. we're not trying to win arguments, we're trying to win souls. So Philip didn't try to win the argument. You know what he said? Come and see for yourself. I know by your response that was underwhelming, but I need you to hear it again. Philip said, come and see. Oh, church, somebody needs to hear that today. What you need to say to those who object is just come and see. Come and taste of the goodness of God. Come to church with me one time and just see. Just hear the gospel. Just see for yourself. 
Okay, maybe church isn't your thing. Just hear my testimony. Come and see my testimony. Look at what the Lord has done in my life. Come and see of the goodness of God. You don't have to have all the answers. Should we, be studied, should we study to show ourselves approved? Yes. But don't let a lack of knowledge stop you from winning souls. Tell them to come and see of the goodness of Jesus. Tell an unbeliever if you don't believe, just ask God. Have a conversation. Ask him, Lord, if you're really there, show me. If you're really there, speak to me. If you're really there, reveal yourself to me. You can say that with confidence. Why? Because the scripture says, if you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. And God may not appear to you in the way you expect, but he is faithful to his word. Come and see. By the way, an encounter with Jesus changes everything. Philip and Andrew, it was not their job to change Peter. They just brought Peter to Jesus and he did the changing. Too many times Christians have tried to transform people. We've tried to mold them. We've tried to say, hey, look like this, talk like this, dress like this. But let me just tell you, all that's behavior modification. All you gotta do is point to Jesus, bring him to Jesus, and he'll do the changing. When Peter got to Jesus, their first interaction, Jesus goes, hey, I know everybody calls you Simon around here, like your dad and mom, but hey, today, you're named Peter. A little rude of Jesus to change his name on the first interaction. But he's God, he can do whatever he wants to. The point that the scripture is making, although I'm being humorous, the scripture is showing you something vivid. When you encounter Jesus, you can't leave the same way. Because Jesus did more than change his name. He changed his life, changed his perspective, his heart, his outlook on life. Jesus changes lives and the gospel still works. In closing today, <clears throat> all throughout John chapter one, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man, the son of man, the son of man. We read that today and we're like, okay, what does that mean? We're a little confused. I thought he was the son of God. Well, actually that title goes all the way back to Daniel chapter seven, which is a messianic prophecy of the Messiah, which says that the one who is called son of man, he will have a kingdom which will have no end. He reigns in victory, splendor, and majesty. And so when Jesus in John one refers to himself as the son of man, he's saying, I'm the Messiah, the savior, the redeemer of the world, God in human flesh. John 1 goes on to say um, that Jesus says, I am the ladder where the angels ascend and descend. What he was really saying, church, lean in. I know I've been preaching a long time, lean in. What Jesus is really saying is, I am the bridge between creation and creator. I am the bridge between humanity and heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to heaven but through me. And if you're in this room today and you don't know God, if you are not right with God, if you fear the day of judgment, you're not sure where you'll spend eternity, I want you to pray with me right here and right now all over this place. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we repent of our sin. We confess to you, Lord, that we've been full of lust, pride, and greed and selfish ambition. Today we repent before you and we ask you for mercy. And we believe that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He performed miracles. He caused the dead to rise. He laid down his life on the cross. His blood was shed for my redemption. And I believe that on the third day, he rose from the grave. He's the resurrection and the life. Your word says that if I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are faithful to forgive me, to save me, and to wash my sins away. And today, I place my faith fully 
in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me today for the first time or as a recommitment of your faith, I want you in just a minute, I'm gonna count to three. I want you without hesitation to stand boldly, every eye open, every person looking around. We're not gonna embarrass you, but you must publicly confess him as the Lord of your life. Scripture says, if you'd be ashamed of him on earth, he will be ashamed of you in heaven. But if you would acknowledge him on earth, he will acknowledge you. This is the word of the Lord. If that's you and you need to confess him as the Lord and acknowledge him publicly, I want you to stand boldly right now. One, two, three. Is there anybody today that that's you and you know you need to publicly confess him? Last Sunday, nine precious people made a decision to stand for Jesus Christ. 76 people this year have made that bold declaration. And now I'm gonna challenge the rest of you. We're gonna close this service in a different way. Look directly underneath your seat. There are two green post-it notes and a pen. I'm gonna ask you to please grab that as quickly as you can. If you need assistance reaching it, you can ask an usher or a prayer team member stationed nearby. It's also in the balcony and in the overflow. I want you to listen closely. Today, we're not gonna be hearers of the word. We're gonna be doers of it. We're gonna put it into action. What I want you to do is to take a moment right now and I want you to think of somebody, pray right now of one person that you already have a relationship with that does not know Jesus as their savior. Coworker, classmate, roommate, friend, and I want you to write their name on both post-it notes right now. One person you already know that doesn't know Jesus. We all know somebody that doesn't know Jesus. I want you to write their name on both post-it notes now. And here's what I want you to do. With the first green post-it note, I want you to take that home with you today. And we get home, Put it on your refrigerator, put it on your bathroom mirror, whichever you look at the most. For me, it's gonna be the fridge. <clears throat> and every time you see that name for the next five weeks, pray for them. You don't have to get in the fetal position and pray for an hour, just pray to the Lord. Say, God, draw them to yourself, save their soul, draw them to repentance, pray for them. Every time you see that for the next five weeks. And then with the second note, in just a minute, before you leave today, I'm gonna to invite you on your way out to lay that name on the altar. Because over the next five weeks, myself, our staff, our elders, and our prayer nights are gonna pray over that name alongside you. We're gonna come into agreement with you, praying for these names to come to Jesus. You see that graphic on the wall? <clears throat> That's not a random building. That's Ovens Auditorium. That's where we're gonna be in five weeks from now on Easter Sunday. And we're gonna do two services, which is crazy. We're doing it not to impress people. We're doing it because we don't want anybody to be turned away. We want everybody to hear the gospel. Last time, last Easter, over 200 people were turned away when we did one service. So this time we're gonna do two. And even if it's half empty both times, who cares? At least we won't turn anybody away. But I wanna remind you, that Easter Sunday, it's time to be an Andrew and be a bringer. And that person right there, we're calling you, commissioning you to bring them. 
Not so Vision Church can grow. Look around, we don't need to grow. We wanna win people to Christ. I'm here five times all day long. God's moving. We're here to win souls. But listen, praying is amazing, but faith without action is dead. So here's three things with that green post-it note that you're gonna take home. Pray for them every time you see it. And over the next five weeks, invest in their life. That means a couple times in five weeks, take them to lunch and you pay for it. Take them to Top Golf, you pay for it. If you're broke, take them to a park and walk in circles. <laughs> Invest in their life relationally. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus because he had relational equity that he could draw from. You gotta invest in their life. They don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And then third, invite them to Easter Sunday with you. People will go to church on Easter if you will invite them. And if you invite them, I promise you one thing, they will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in love, in truth, unashamed, unreserved. If you would stand to your feet all over this place and before you leave today, come and lay that name at the altar right now. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially. It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless. Thank you.